hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me, as always, is Fred. Explosions of color when he enters the room, Moreland, and we are going to celebrate our 52nd episode. Like AEW celebrated their 200th episode of Dynamite last night. Fred, how are you? Doing all right. That's one year, man. One year of talking about this company and other stupid stuff. So, yeah. Doesn't sound like we're enthused, but it we're here. That's no, too early in the morning for me to be enthused right now. <laughs> I haven't yeah, fully I, awake, awakened yet. I haven't even uh, eaten breakfast. I, I totally understand. If Fred can see my eyes, they're not exactly like, hey, they're not perky today. So they're, also, but, they're not rolling around like Rob Van Dam. So there's that. <laughs> that was look. You if know you're what? gonna Let's have Rob Van Dam on TV, he needs to be. Uh, these did not have their size pointed in one direction at all times. Let's talk about Rob Van Dam for a second. Because, look, this isn't for me. It's, I don't know who this is for. And I don't want this. I don't need this. But damn, that was fun. Like, it, it's, it's going to be fun. And... We talked about the nobody needs the ECW nostalgia, and it's a hundred percent true. But at the end of the day, it was a good segment. Tony paid for Pantera's walk, yes, and it was awesome. It was awesome. It's, that's really all there is to it. It was great. And you know what? They're not going to do it on Wembley. At least we don't think they're going to do anything on Wembley with this. This is great. Yeah, um, you know, I think this is just a little way to buy, you know, extend the the feud with Hook a little bit and uh, keep it going and uh, work some of the ECW angle, which uh, obviously connects pretty tightly to the FTW belt's history and Hook's history with his dad being Taz and everything. So I don't really have a big issue with it. Um, Also, hopefully we're done with uh, Jerry Lynn having to be the mouthpiece of of, um, ECW representation um because uh that's not a strong point uh but that's okay yeah it's it's fascinating honestly um this is you know what would just be the the icing on the cake if you got a a wembley match with bully ray 
God. Then we can bury it to all hell. Yeah. Do not need that in my life in 2023. Nobody needs that in their life in 2023. But it'd be hilarious because we just get to meme it and make fun of it. But if you're going to do this angle, and Rob Van Dam obviously has retired titles in the past, and he was very clear about his intentions as to why he's here. I thought that angle was really nice because it kind of takes a storyline from yesteryear and something that he's already done. So he has credibility of why he's here, not just being an ECW guy. There's real credibility here. And I think it works. I think there's cohesiveness within the story. I I, I just don't need ECW nostalgia in the year 2023. We've done it. Oh, they did one night stand and one night stand too. Those should have been it. But everybody's tried to recreate that special moment in time and you just can't do it. There's you asked Joe Lanz or anybody else who attended ECW arena, which is hilarious because Tony Khan used to attend the ECW arena and go to all these shows. And he's trying to get a little bit of that nostalgia and, I find it weird because you just can't recreate something that was that unique and that special with a group of guys who just wanted to go balls to the wall for each other. Like, yeah, it's, you can't duplicate it. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, honestly, I talked myself into thinking that there was some of that early on in AEW's history, uh, mainly before CM Punk came in and it was like, Oh, this is a business. <laughs> um, and not a, not, you know, uh, Paul Heyman trying to smooth talk people into believing it's a family. Um, I think it ended up, I mean, it's it's fine. It, it's not really like a complaint about anything. A punk was the right move 100%, even with the drama that happened. Um, mm-hmm. I am slightly distracted, however. I'm going to do a hard subject shift here because I just learned that um, the you're familiar, at least in passing, with the uh, Japanese promotion six six six, right? Yes. All right, the death. It's if you don't know at home, it's a deathmatch promotion. Uh, it is smaller than like Freedoms of Big Japan, so it, it's further down the 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 thing. But they are also known for their um, for being a little wacky. For a while, they had a like an eight year old or a twelve year old or something, uh, basically pretending to be the Undertaker. That was kind of internet famous about a decade ago. I just learned about their tag team championship. And notice that I did not say championships. It's one belt that's defended by one person, but only in tag team matches. So if that person loses the fall, whoever pinned them becomes the new tag team champion, but not their partner. And I also need you, which is frankly bizarre. Apparently, there was a recent ladder match where uh, where the the champion's partner could have won the the title from their partner by climbing the ladder and grabbing the belt. I also need you to look at this championship belt, which I am sending to you right now on the uh, exclusive Voices of Wrestling Slack, because it has an angry Thomas the Tank Engine as the centerpiece of the belt. That's phenomenal. Um, that is, I love this so much. This just completely broke my brain. Uh, we're what? We're not even ten minutes in. Uh, I'm off the rails today. Um, okay, thanks, so uh, I have to describe this even more. Yeah. So go for it. you have the standard length of the belt, 
but because it's a tag team championship, they have a, an extender on both <laughs> sides so it can wrap around both both wrestlers. Yes. This is great. This is psychotic, <laughs> and uh, I am glad it's happening somewhere in the world. This oh. is the stuff that should not happen at a big company, but it's 100% great because it's happening in a small company. Oh, this is fantastic. This is such a disappointment that like DDT got beat to this, you know, in a sense, because DDT is supposed to be the big old wacky company and they've been out wackied in their own country. Oh, what the hell were we talking about before? <laughs> um, Rob Van Dam. Oh, yeah. This is appropriate, I think, for a Rob Van Dam conversation. Uh, just the inability to stay on the subject. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not like super hyped for him coming in or anything, but I figure it'll be a, a little mini thing that won't last long. And I doubt we're going to get a full fledged like ECW originals versus the New Blood kind of thing or anything like that. So it'll be over quickly enough, and we'll be like, oh yeah, it's cool that we get to see uh, Rob Van Dam in you know 2023 when his hips don't seem to move. <laughs> He, him walking, it's amazing what he could do, like with the with the kick in the ring, especially after watching him walk to the ring, where like it was obvious, like oh man, this guy is is not in a good place physically, like he's just beat up, uh, and then he just does his jumping kick on Jack Perry, like it's no problem. So wrestlers, man, wrestlers are well, like you said, they're wrestlers. Odie agrees as he's sitting right next to me, wanting pets. Oh yeah. All right, let's let's get into the little bit of news that we do have, Fred. Yeah, it's a lighter and, week, but there's a couple of big ones. Well, the biggest one is the elite have resigned, and according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer newsletter, those are projected to be four-year contracts. The first deals that they signed with the company were four-year deals, so it's great. The AEW is all elite wrestling, and look, I don't want them to go anywhere else. I would be happy if they were in New Japan, but it's great that some of the best and my favorite wrestlers in the world are in the company that I like the most. Yes. And I'm not going to apologize for that. No, it's good. Um, It is good for the the sake of AEW to have them around. Um, I think especially like during the dog days of this year where the thing that was really carrying the company was the elite BCC feud, which was a success uh, financially and creatively, I think. Um, while other things were floundering in the company, you know, the elite were such a central part of that. And I think really showed just how important they are to this company. Uh, I don't think they're like the uh, absolute central pillars of the company at this point in time in 2023, but I think they're like very, very important. Um and I think that's great for the company. And I think it's great for wrestling, too, that, uh, you know, this company's grown to the point where they don't 100% rely on the elite or Jericho or anyone like that specifically. Uh, but, you know, obviously they get a lot of value out of having the elite around. Um, and I think you can really point at uh, the versatility of the elite with uh, the Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh match last night. And uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great news for wrestling. I think that they would. I, I, the only person I could imagine going to WWE and like not floundering because of WWE is uh, Kenny Omega. 
I, I can see them properly pushing him, but I think that's even not really a guarantee. Um, just because of uh, preferences and everything. I mean, the young oh, buck. That, they'll push him. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to push him to the moon. He's going to win the Royal Rumble. And then he's going to lay down for Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania. Pretty much. I will say um, I have collision going on in the background right now. And it's it's the guns yeah, coming in with Juice Robinson. And I got to say, Juice Robinson is incredible with this entrance. He is just inc- so extra. And he's got all the Juice faces. and He's great. He's really great. Oh, it was like, sorry, it's a tangent, but it's so freaking good. I love it. He's like, he's like the perfect uh, heel sidekick. Um, Like he's just really good at that role. And I'm really, it's great that he's in AEW. So we get to see him do that. Um, You know what would have been awesome? Juice Robinson in mid 1980s WWF. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just the, the cartoon the cartoonish era. Like, I mean, he's so great now because he can do a little bit of everything, but he's such a great cartoon. Yes. And oh, I, I I did just get my Bullet Club gold shirt in the mail the other day. So I'm very excited about that. And wearing a wrestling t-shirt. What a mark. Fred. Fred, you are wearing an orange Cassidy t-shirt as we record right now. Oh shit. yeah don't even man um the other big news of the week i I really think that's about it for the elite i mean they're back they're they're still here i guess i should say uh i i I didn't really i do want to say one thing yeah sure sure. i thought it i thought it was interesting you don't ever hear people talk about contract stuff except the mjf storyline they announced that they re-signed on dynamite i thought that interesting yeah it is a little interesting I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was uh, the 200th episode and they are really the heart of the they promotion. Are. I was honestly shocked that they didn't main event. Now, I I agree that if you're just looking on paper, that Sheeta versus Tony Storm is the better match and probably should main event. But I'm talking about the context of this is all elite wrestling and the elite wasn't in the main event of their own anniversary, essentially anniversary show. I, I thought that was a little odd, but it's, it's not the end of the world. I just found that peculiar. I gotta be honest. That seems very, uh, very elite of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, opening early in the company's history, like by losing in the first round of that tag team championship tournament to, you know, to name the new first champions, uh, losing to a private party. I mean, you know, the knock on them, especially in the first year or two, was that they did too many jobs. Um, yes. So they were too giving. So, uh, you know, I think it, it just follows with their kind of reputation or what they do, you know. Um, like the, their givingness as performers. And uh, they got a light night, really. We'll get to it well, with the Lethal Jarrett match and uh, saying match. And, uh, you know, outside of the uh, matches that, you know, you know, outside of the match that didn't have any originals in it, which was the tag match between Aussie Open and uh, Bikingo and Commander, um, I think which that... Great, uh, 
Yeah, it was. Everyone that got a win on this show was a AEW original. Yes. So, and I, I, I think that's a cool homage. And one of my favorite parts of this past show was they showed the video package and they showed the like highlights of the parking lot brawl with best friends and proud and powerful. And I'm like, yes, they don't, they don't have enough. Like we don't get them enough respect or love because that parking lot brawl was just incredible as there is a literal cardboard cutout of switchblade J white at ringside. Oh my God. Yep. That's just, yeah, that was that's a good fantastic. Bit. That was a good um, bit. Yeah. That parking, that parking lot brawl is probably my favorite match ever to occur on dynamite. And I think that made my match of the year list in 2020. Just phenomenal stuff. And then after the the trio or the um the three-way match, Chuck Taylor challenged the Blackpool Combat Club to a parking lot brawl, which I thought that's great. Yeah, it was a nice way to set you it have up. The synergy. Yeah. And look, we all know that best friends are shockingly great at plunder. You don't necessarily think they would be, but they're great at it. And then they you are. have the Blackpool Combat Club who are also great at plunder. This could be special. And I'm really, really excited to see it next week. Oh my God, what is Vikingo doing? That's He's doing question. like... A, he just did a senton off of the top rope, but instead of jumping off the rope... He jumped off of uh, Darius Martin and Action Andretti. <laughs> He's freaking nuts. This is great. Um, yeah, uh, I've been so busy covering Vikings practice. I haven't got to watch Collision. So I'm, I'm, I am doing my due diligence and watching it while we work. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I love the cohesiveness of this company. And they try to have everything make sense. And even if you don't like it, that's okay. It, it, it doesn't matter if you don't like it. You, you can at least admit that, hey, they're doing a good job of X, Y, and Z. And I think, as the, the, we talked about the Rob Van Dam stuff, it's cohesive. It makes sense. They have motivation behind it. It's not just ex-ECW guy. It's, no, you don't deserve this title, you little sack of crap. I'm going to retire. I've already done that before. Like, the little things... The music, like, I think that is really the epitome of what Dynamite is and why the Dynamite 200 was so special because those little things continue to matter and continue to to have an impact on the show. Yeah. Uh, I I, I love that they brought it up and pushed it as a big deal, at least last night. I I think that it would have been cool... um... You know, if they had uh, done a little more of that, you know, like over the years of being like, oh, I remember that this great match. Uh, but, yeah, I think they did pay good homage to it, and they worked into this, you know, a couple little storylines pretty nicely, and I liked it, yeah. And yeah. Um, now the other big news of the week is that we actually have a match for all in Wembley. And we have the main event, even. 
which is Adam Cole and MJF for the AEW World Championship. And they did confirm that this is going to be on pay-per-view, finally, uh, in passing. <laughs> we have this mystery for, like, weeks and weeks about how we're going to be able to watch this show, and it just is on pay-per-view again. So, so the like, interesting thing here was Andrew Zarian of the Matt Men podcast said that it was going to be on pay-per-view, like, two weeks ago. But this is the first time AEW has mm-hmm. outwardly said that this was going to be on pay-per-view. So my guess is they were having some serious discussions with HBO and Max to maybe put this on streaming and really try to boost that platform. Um, we do know, um, I don't know if you have it in the run sheet here, but AEW has applied for the trademark for AEW+. Plus. Oh, I, I'm curious, uh, yes. I'm curious if that uh was kind of factored in my it, i would assume that aew plus would be run on the back end by warner brothers discovery and not by just like aew themselves yeah it's um yeah i think that's uh, i thought i saw something about that just being like and you know related to the fight plus deal but honestly, I didn't really look into it very much. Um, but yeah, something to keep an eye on. I just don't get the feeling that they're going to be on Max anytime soon. Um, yeah. All I know is the second to get on Max, guess who's doing a Dynamite rewatch, baby? This guy. I want to. I want to start doing some comparisons, like early Dynamites and how things have changed. And yeah. well, there's there's really really nowhere that has a collection yet. And the second they get a streaming services, I'm going to jump into that because some of the first dynamites were incredibly different than what we have now, but it all in pay-per-view look, I've seen people compare this to SummerSlam 92 with Bret Hart and the British bulldog, kind of like baby face, baby face that I feel like that was a unique case. Cause weren't the British bulldog and Bret Hart, like, related yeah blood yeah. relatives not blood relatives but by, by marriage okay i'm very intrigued to see how they play these guys and continue to look at like this face face dynamic they have going on mjf he's like i'm a still scumbag but i'm your scumbag and yeah. i i want one of these guys to bleed buckets because the other turned on him and I don't know if you do this before all in or if you do this at all in, but let me tell you, for as much as we've complained about this, I am really into this story. Yeah, it's great. Uh, even though some of the segments were like really poorly done, like written, I guess I should say not done. Uh, the reason they worked is because of how Adam Cole and MGF did it. Um, but you know they they've really turned what could have been a flop of a storyline because they weren't exactly being handed like gold here, you know. Um, they they turned it into just a fantastic uh, thing and everything, and um, it's awesome. <laughs> it's really cool to see like the buy-in from the, the crowd. You haven't got to it yet, um, but the main event of Collision. That crowd was molten for Adam Cole and MGF, and they have been the entire time as baby faces, and uh, it's awesome. And um, you know, I still think the storyline—I I think the storyline has to be at this point. Um, 
Adam Cole turning heel on MJF to betray him. And, um, and uh, MJF being the, uh, the, the hurt baby face, he's looking for revenge. And I, like I said last week, I, I could really see there's a path here. And there's never a guarantee because so many things don't happen in wrestling. But I could definitely see MJF becoming the biggest star in wrestling in the next year if this is all handled correctly. Um, and I think that that would obviously, I mean, it'd be a huge boon to AEW to have the hottest guy in wrestling again. They haven't had him since CM Punk uh, when he first came back. And... Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it all works out, but I think this is such an important part of you know the uh, the professional of, of the basically the the future of AEW. Um, you know, it'll really it set the tone for just how big this company can do after this massive Wembley show. So. Yeah. I think the the lead up to Wembley in the next couple of weeks is going to be really interesting. Let's talk about this because we had mentioned this potential and it might go in a different direction. The kingdom comes in on Roderick strong as he's having a tantrum backstage after Adam Cole signs that contract and said that we get it. He doesn't know who his real friends are. And then walk stage left. Yep. Great stuff. Great stuff. Just planting the seeds. Maybe we get an Adam Cole kingdom reunion and he turns on everybody. Maybe Roddy strong turns on Adam Cole with the kingdom because obviously Adam Cole is also kind of the elite too. He's in this kind of ambiguous space where you could really align him with either faction I'm all in for this. The, look, the kingdom are, are they're never going to be higher than mid carters, but for mid carters, they're tremendous. They're great workers. They work well together. They've got good charisma. I would like to see them get a push. Yeah. I mean, they're great. They're a great team. Um, I still think that they have, like, I, I don't think Roddy, uh, a, a group of Roddy and the kingdom alone is going to work in this spot. Uh, so they have to, um, they have to basically establish it that uh, it's Adam Cole leading this group. Um, I think that's the only way. What, you, you don't believe in Madison Square Taven? How dare you? I believe in Madison Square Taven as a great backup guy. Um, these guys Remember are when, all... When we buried the fact that Matt Taven won that ladder match and Marty Skrull didn't, how retconning it, it that, was, that actually ended up being the perfect move. Well, yeah, and um, also the fact that they Ring of Honor apparently pushed hard for that to be the main event of the show, of that uh, New Japan Ring of Honor Madison Square Garden show. Can you imagine the flagship burying the fact that that was the main event and not Okada J. White? That, yeah. that That could have been the best audio Rich and Joe have ever done. I think that match still may be going on. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> that was the longest ladder match of my life. Um, like it, it was, like, it was good though. Like, I mean, it, it was good, but it was not like it did. It was like fifteen minutes too long. I'm not gonna ever watch it again. Yeah, but it was good, and they worked 
really hard. They did. So, it was like a four and a half star match stretched out to like a length that made it like three and a half. In my yeah. mind. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Uh, what's actually really still going on is that Bully Ray lifeblood street fight. <laughs> that hasn't that stopped. Too. And Juice Robinson is still a member of Lifeblood. And here the, we are. The, the Hey EW that, um, that, uh, shit, I lost my track, train of thought that Juice Robinson did. Um, Lifeblood is briefly brought up and he was like, uh, extremely funny. I would love to see David Finley win the C block of the, uh, of the G1, have a C block t shirt. But along with that, I would love to see uh, him, him the, like look at the camera and be like, like you wanted me to be a bit player in Lifeblood? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, just Everything's awesome. coming up Lifeblood. Lifeblood looked like it could have been a cool faction, but it just, timing was awful. Well, because Ring of Honor just happened. did not work out. Um uh, at that time, it's really unfortunate. They had a lot of talent, and then the creative was just like, Ugh. well, it wasn't even the creative. They like three months into that run, the pandemic, like the pandemic, kind of happened. Yeah, that didn't help. Either. It wasn't three months, but like they were getting real interesting in 2020, bringing it like bringing in like Slex the business. Yes, and then they just had to go by because of the pandemic. Kind of, yeah, kind of sucks. Um, let's continue talking about the news because we have been off track all episode, which honestly has been some really fun audio in my opinion. Um, let's go to big Lucha yeah. and the bandito drama. So walk me through this because it's, it's a little confusing, but it's, it also kind of makes sense. It's, it's a, it's an interesting deal. Yeah. So big Lucha is like a second tier Lucha promotion, obviously behind her play and CMLL. Is it and, the biggest uh, indie in Mexico? It what has been for the past year or so. We'll see how long that lasts. I imagine it could easily fall behind IWRG or something. Uh, but uh, essentially, uh, Bandito agreed to work with him. And a lot of people actually thought Bandito owned the company. And without paying close attention, I, I can see that. I kind of thought that too. Uh, like they renamed, I think, the gym after Bandito, where they run these shows and... Uh, if he didn't have outright booking power, he had a lot of pool and who came in, so a bunch of people close to him came in. And they were having some pretty good matches there for a while. And then uh, the past week or so, the they basically split. Uh, Bandito and his group are on their way out of Big Lucha. I think they basically are. They had a big eight-man tag suddenly on the latest Big Lucha show. Where it was the you know, losing team leaves the promotion, and the losing team was Bandito's team. And apparently, uh, this you know, as Cubs fan himself put this, um, a lot of this drama stems from basically AEW doing a kind of meme booking with Gravity. Uh, now I think Gravity has some potential for sure, but you know he's not exactly a uh, top guy on the lucha scene right now. Uh, but they booked him in part. You know, because he's close with Bandito, but also because they wanted to do Pac versus Gravity, because Pac, of course, used to be nicknamed the man the Gravity forgot. And so they worked some jokes about that into their uh, match on Dynamite last week. 
the problem with all this is that everyone else thought uh, a lot of people, I guess I should say instead, a lot of people backstage in Big Lucha uh, thought that Bandito had sold them all out to get his brother Gravity a spot in AW, and that they better workers should have been given that opportunity. So I think that there are some percolating issues that this just kind of brought to a head. And essentially, uh, yeah, Gravity coming in really was the breaking point, I think, for the Bandito Big Lucha relationship. So, yeah. Um, I really don't think that Big Lucha has the talent to kind of make waves going forward without that group um, of guys, the the Bandito-centric group. Um, we'll see. Um, but... Yeah, that's kind of the how Tony Khan accidentally killed a uh, the number three <laughs> lucha company in you know Mexico because because uh, he was like, "Hey, Gravity Pack, I remember that bit." <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I wish I would have remembered. I wish I would have remembered that um, Pack used to be the man that Gravity forgot. Because I'm like, what's the joke here? I don't I don't yeah. get it. And then, of course, God bless him, Andrew Rich, who I swear that man remembers everything. And he told me, I'm like, yep, there it is. There it is. There it and is. <laughs> tremendous bit. And you know what? I think Gravity's got some potential. And I like that they're just getting him on these like random TV matches. But man, you can just tell the man needs more time. And unfortunately, time is not something you can get in the wrestling business nowadays because you need the instant. Like yeah. the second somebody looks looks like they have potential, they get snatched up, and that's why AW has two eighteen year olds, but yeah. they're also better than most eighteen year olds are professional wrestling. Yes. And Billy Starks and Nick Wayne. So I'm intrigued to see what they have for Gravity as MJF is um, running around the ring while Adam Cole gets ready to do his Bay Bay thing. <laughs> These guys are just so great. It's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, they're it's just, awesome. Yeah. You know what? You know what they remind me of? What's and, that? And follow me here. They remind me of Kirk Cousins. Okay. Um, they're just big dorks. Okay. <laughs> like it, it, it's a very loose comparison, but Kirk Cousins just a dorky dad who likes spending time with his sons and his wife. He's gonna he's gonna rock stuff from Coles and Patagonia. These guys are just dorks in a different sense because they're wrestlers. Like, I don't know, it just gives me those vibes, and I really dig it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess I, I can't really say that I see the uh the through line there personally, but okay, no worries. Uh <laughs> We got a couple uh, little injury notes to go over real quick. Uh, Jamie Hayter is probably going to miss all in, which is unfortunate because, you know, her being a native Brit and everything. This being a She could have been the main event of all in, and nobody been, would have yeah. batted an eye because, one, the Brit connection, obviously, but, two, her versus Tony Storm would have arguably been the biggest or second biggest match on the card. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a shame because, I mean, she was – doing really well she was hot and uh just the injury happened and now you know they can't do it um let me ask you this let's tangent here do you the the announcement or news breaking of her probably missing all in do you think that coincided with Sheeta beating tony storm for the title 
I can't say that it wasn't necessarily related. Uh, they could could have just been uh, decisions made completely set independent of each other. I do think this was something of a make good. I mean, obviously a make good for Ashida because she was the champion during the pandemic and dropped it on the first show back. But also, I think without Hater, uh, the women's division was very much creatively floundering. I think um, like it wasn't like an outright disaster or anything, excluding the Taya match last week, which was just a bad match. It happens. Um, but like they just, it felt like everything was stalled with Hater out injured and had not been, you know, moved forward in several weeks. So I think the Sheeta move is a great way to kind of, you know, um, liven things up again. And uh, hopefully we get, you know, a cool storyline coming out of here. Um, So, yeah, it's cool. Um, Other injury note is that Scorpio Sky was scheduled for Rampage last week uh, to face uh, Kip Sabian, but he was injured. So he had to miss that match. I think uh, Commander replaced him. Uh, So that's why that happened. Um, No real word on it. If this sounded... The impression I got just from, you know, the little bit you could read about this because, you know, t- Tony Khan and uh, Mysteries are uh, closest friends. Uh, Scorpio, you know, he had, um, I'm assuming it's a minor injury that's just going to keep him out a week or two. And he'll probably be back soon. Uh, tough luck that it came, like, right after his return. But, you know, if it's just, you know, a couple weeks, then it's not really notable or anything um, not a major concern, I guess, is what I'm trying to say going forward. So good for him. Yeah. Hey, nobody wants anybody to be hurt, but I'm glad we weren't subjected to Scorpio Sky versus Kip Sabian. Yeah, I that that booking, you know, if you want to make you know, we've we've had so many discussions about what Rampage is exactly, and I just want Rampage to not be a show where you get Scorpio Sky versus Kip Sabian. That's just uh, that's just a rough match, man. Um, I just mm, do not need that on TV on any show, really. Um, I, can't, I can't do it. God bless him. Uh, quick TV ratings notes: uh, Collisions, di- Collisions, a uh, Collision, a singular, did really good uh, on the show that uh, Tyler is watching as we discuss this. Um, uh, shockingly, if you build a super hot storyline and then have it main event a show with a couple weeks build, um, it'll get a good rating. Um, the ratings were the best since the premiere. They had a total audience of 739,000 and a key demo of 0.27. For a non-outright, like real, air quote, sports show on a Saturday night, that, those are damn good numbers. Um I don't know. I think that it was like number three on the night because of some sports competition, but I mean, still seriously, that's the highest numbers for collision since this debut episode. It's rich history of six episodes, question mark. Um, In sadder news, um, going back to our Kip Sabian discussion, uh, Rampage dropped to its lowest key demo of the year, a total of 324,000 viewers with a key demo of 0.10. Um, Rampage, just a hundred percent sea show at this point. You know, that's what it's going to be. That's what it is. So, look, great ratings for Collision, and I think you can give a lot of credit to MJF Adam Cole for this. Oh, obviously, we, 
we talked about the fact that this was probably going to settle in around 600,000 and a point two in the demo. And outside of the first week and the 4th of July weekend, yeah, it's pretty much lived there. 739 and a 0.27. Fantastic numbers. And they have to be absolutely thrilled that this rating came really close to the first rating. Huge win. Rampage, look, you're doing fantastic number. You're doing 324 and a 0.1 in the demo when your production costs really aren't that much considering you're just taping this after dynamite and then your live crowd gets like three hours of live TV wrestling. Like I don't see how you can be unhappy with that. Cause you're really not utilizing any extra production costs here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a bummer, man. <laughs> um, yeah, just what rampage. I mean, it's tough and everything, but because I, you know, I just don't know what you do with rampage. Um, it's in this really weird spot now, where it just feels like it naturally has to be a uh, a C uh, show, and I don't think there's a clear plan to do anything else with it. Um, That's just what Rampage is now. Uh, one last uh, news note is that Ian Riccoboni has been named to his local school board. Um, this We're definitely scraping the bottom of the barrel for news here. But it is cool. He uh, he applied for the spot. Uh, I saw some notes that he was elected. It wasn't exactly that if you actually read about it. He, um, he basically, there was a vacancy and he applied for it. Uh, one of four people to apply for, I think maybe one or, or two vacancies. And he was selected to the board. So congratulations to him. Please have good policies. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, just a cool little interesting note, I think. Um, time to talk about the shows. Uh, Rampage, literally a missed show. Like, the only thing noteworthy of it, and please don't watch the match it came from, uh, is uh, that Big Bill and Brian Cage are doing the thing. They are they got tag title match uh, this Saturday night against the FTRs. Uh, Tyler, it's time, baby. It's big bill time. Listen, Tony Khan, thank you very much. I know you're a big listener of this show. I'm listener. Thank you, God, for giving us more big bill and Brian Cage tag team matches. This is so every once in a while you hit gold. They're just two big dudes who can do a lot of different stuff. Brian Cage is a hot tag with big bill. Oh yes, yeah. Brian Cage should never do singles matches, ever. No, just have him come in there for three minutes, do a bunch of cool shit, and get out. That's that's the beauty of Brian Cage. And you have Big Bill, who can work. What he has figured out how to work like a big man, like a true big man. But he doesn't. He worked so long as not a true big man that he can work just like a standard wrestler, and he can take bumps. And he does them really well. He can do all the little things. These guys should win the fucking belts on Saturday. They will not win them, but they should. I want to see a big bill and Brian Cage title run so bad. 
this I'm just glad it's happening. Yeah, it's it rules that it's happening. It's very very cool. Um, I hope that uh, you know I think it'll be a great match. Um, a lot of fun, and uh, fingers crossed that you know they keep getting pushed going forward because they're a cool team. Um, Big Bill, uh, I'm so happy for Big Bill. Uh, I mean, Brian Cage is exactly what Brian Cage has always been. You know, the guy that does cool shit and doesn't really have like great matches because they don't really connect all that well altogether. Um, but Big Bill has really transformed himself in the past, like what five plus years. It's cool as hell to see. I'm so happy for him. Um, his name, which I initially thought was nerdy as hell, is awesome. Uh, I'm all in on Big Bill. This is a Big Bill friendly podcast. Um, if you do not like Big Bill, uh, you can stop listening. It's okay. Uh, because we stand, we stand a, a large, large William. And, um, it's, this is cool. This is a, this is just very awesome. I'm excited for that match. Uh, it very well could be the best match of, uh, large William's entire career. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I can't, I can't wait. I, I, I am so excited for this, Fred. It's oh, this is gonna rule. <laughs> forget, forget all in. This is the real big event of AEW Summer. Like, I, I don't care about all in. No, I, all I in want for- big Bill and Brian Cage tag matches. Oh, this is great. <laughs> and Eclair is sitting here looking at me like, "What the hell is wrong with you right now?" Like, she has never seen a. Big Bill and Brian Cage tag team match. She doesn't yeah, understand. Yeah, you gotta, These you gotta guys, teach your dog about Large William. Oh, I'm going to. She is. She's going to learn this weekend. Um, but I'll be at Vikings practice, so she'll have to learn on demand. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, look, awesome. I'm. I can't wait. Uh, Co- Collision also has that real world title match, right? Yes, with, with uh, Richard Starks. Starks. Okay, let's talk about this because. I think this is incredibly stupid. Um, and it's only stupid for one reason. They waited almost two months to do it. Punk should have come back night one, took the belt out of the bag, and ma- claimed it's the real-world title because nobody beat me for it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. 
I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second, door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Good story. Yeah. It makes sense. Logical. And you can run with it for a little while. And and in time, you unify the belts. Okay. Is that the story I want them to tell with the world title? No. Is it logical? And does it at least make sense in canon? Yes. Waiting two months and Punk to bring it out. And to just spray paint an X over it, which went right through the E of all elite wrestling on the title belt, which, of course, you know. The symbolism? The symbolism, yeah. And Kenny even referenced on Dynamite that they may appear on Collision, and you're going to be seeing more of them. Like, I just hate that the fact that they could have done this right away, but they had to hold off. And because it was held off, I kind of think it sucks. And I don't care about it because the presentation, they blew it. It's very odd. It, it, it's just the timing of it because we, we had him come out and, like, I think on his debut, he had the bat. Was it his debut or I guess I should say his return or was it, like, a week later where he had the large velvet bag of uh, D&D dice? Um that uh, he was waving around and, you know, intimating like, oh, don't, you know, I'm going to break this out soon. Just you wait. And then um, then nothing happened until this past week. And that's what makes it feel a little weird. Um, it's not a big deal to me, I guess. Uh, the 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 transition from uh, happy-go-lucky babyface punk just happy to be here to I've got a belt, damn it. Uh, it was very sudden. Uh, but... You know, I, I it's it's not like a major deal to me, but it's like okay, we probably could have handled all this a little better, but okay, that's fine. Um, I am excited for that match, though. Um, I think this is obviously he's going to beat Starks. Like, I think that's very apparent. Um, Which sucks because like, here's the thing about Tony Khan: he books himself into a corner. You don't have to book this match. Stark shouldn't lose right now. I don't think it hurts. You, you can just be like. Look, it's obvious you're trying to give him a push. It's obvious, like, with how he won that tag match and then how he beat CM Punk for the uh, Brett, um, the, oh, sorry, the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament final. What? He's just going to lose to Punk here? I don't like that. Starks has taken too many of those losses. If you're going to rocket pack him, just do it. Well, they're I, obviously I not rocket him. packing him right now. Like, that's the whole point. Um, the idea is just that he's, uh, you know, he he is poised, but, you know, they're not, he's not becoming a guy, like, 100% right now. We, we I was screaming at the end of last year that they should have pushed him harder. I actually think this is a pretty decent push for him. Um 
So I don't have much of an issue with this. Um, yeah, I look. I don't like it. I don't. I really don't. But maybe I'm in the minority. I, I, I just don't like the fact that you you have your positioning starts in this way, and then he's just going to lose the punk again. Like, I, I don't like that. I really don't. And we've criticized Tony Campani on this podcast about how he doesn't like his mid carters to lose. Starks isn't a mid carter anymore. He's mm-hmm. a big boy. Yeah. And having him lose this match, I don't, um, I don't like it. And I don't like it at all. It doesn't bother me. I, I, I gotta double down that. I, um, I think it's perfectly reasonable for him to lose this match, uh, especially after getting the cheating win over Punk two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, they're going to do a thing, I'm sure, where he gets, like, a visible pinfall on him or something, and uh, due to shenanigans, it's not seen. And But they're going to take care of him. I, I'm not worried about it. Uh, Punk's not going to eat him up. He doesn't really do that in matches. Um, so Starks is going to look good, and then, um, you know, after this, we'll see where it goes exactly, but I think... I think he's much closer to being a main eventer now than he was before the Owen started. So I can't complain really if that's where we are with him. Fred, I don't know how much you know me, but I'm going to complain. <laughs> well, we have maybe been I doing shouldn't this. complain because we're getting Big Bill and Brian Cage in a tag title match. Maybe I really shouldn't complain. And I should just be happy. But no, yeah, if you win some, you lose some. So yeah. Let's let's continue on because I, I want to talk about some more broad topics here. This, this dynamite was interesting. And yeah. let's talk about the Callus family. The law like kind of the overarching theme. So obviously Callus and Chris Jericho have a long history together dating back to their time in Canadian Indies. Mm-hmm. They're both Sing- from single parents. Single parent Callus. Yep. <laughs> they are both from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Same with Kenny Omega. And they've Callis has been recruiting him to join the Don Callis family with Takeshita. And they end up tag teaming this past Wednesday night. They won because Don Callis used Floyd mm-hmm. to knock out Daniel Garcia. And he was torn, but he got the win anyways. And then you get felt very WWE, but they do a really good job of always having a reporter there talking to the wrestlers when they do those WWE-like segments so yeah. they don't all, all feel all the way WWE. A little different. But you had, you had Renee Paquette asking Chris Jericho about the match, and Daddy Magic just gets in his face, we're having a meeting, and you better be there. It's mandatory. mandatory. Yeah. And Jericho feels really torn. Where do you think this is going? I, I don't think the JS is is going to continue. No. But is he actually going to make the turn? It, it he is giving a lot of mixed signals here. And yeah, I'm that's curious. the whole point of the bit. Yeah. It's a good bit because it does very much have you guessing and I don't think there's a clear uh like they they haven't dropped like heavy hits that it's going one way or the other. Um but I do think this is going to end up with uh a face Jericho being victimized somehow. Whether it's by the entire JS, which doesn't feel right, like I can't. It doesn't make a hundred percent sense to me to have the um, like all of JS, including like two and Hager, 
uh, who feel more more loyal to him than like the uh, Garcia Guevara faction. Um, uh, it makes more sense to me that if those, you know, if like the young guys split off to go with Callus with promises of being made big stars. Um, now this makes the the mini babyface run Sammy Guevara had during the Four Pillars era even weirder, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think that's just kind of what's going to end up happening. Um, I think it's really interesting though because they have the nice thing about this angle is they do have a lot of uh, wiggle room in terms of which direction they go, and I think that intrigue uh, adds to this nicely. That's a really good point. I, there is a lot of intrigue kind of surrounding this. I'm, I wonder if they do the turn and then you get because Omega obviously wants to catch and you don't have a lot of time to build to this, but I don't think you need a ton of time. You get Jericho and Takeshita versus the Golden Lovers at all in, that'll yep. sell a few tickets. That would be pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, they they could even punt the the turn until after all out to or all in, I should say, to you know to get that kind of big match on the British show. So I don't know. Uh, it's not very clear at this point to me where the storyline is going exactly. I do think that it's a hundred percent a way for Jericho to turn babyface. Um, if I'm wrong, you know, won't be the first time. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting. I like the storyline. I like that it's uh, kind of muddled as far as like what the actual direction is going to be coming out of it. And there's a place for storylines like that. So, yeah. It... Let's talk about the Jericho Appreciation Society as a whole. Okay. Where do we go with the rest of these guys? How That's do a great question, man. I, and I, Jericho is, is going to be fine because it's fucking Chris Jericho. He's been around for 30 years. He's He is a an absolute legend in professional wrestling. But it's the other guys. Sammy Guevara is almost being positioned as a baby face, and he's like the most, the most hateable guy of all time. <laughs> and Daniel Garcia is showing up to be a really big star. Does Garcia just start his own little faction with these – Four other guys? How does this transpire? Because to me, that's the most intriguing thing. Yeah, the thing I always thought was, uh, at least when I say always, I mean like two weeks ago. So, you know. Uh, but I thought this was leading to basically Jericho getting kicked out of the JAS and it becoming maybe, you know, a Guevara or Garcia Appreciation Society or something like that. I could see it being the Callus Appreciation Society. Um, that seems like a very Don Callis thing to do is just to take you over. keep calling it the Don Callis family. I, I don't think the Callis family is pushed that hard as a name that like they're really losing anything if they don't stay attached to it. So, um, so in my mind, like, yeah, that's, you know, you, you can shift from that pretty easily. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I don't know. Um, Kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. My apologies. Uh, I think that uh, it's going to end up with Jericho kicked out. The only question to me is, I think it's pretty clear that Garcia and Guevara are going to be the heels in whatever program comes out of this. 
Uh, my question is like Hager and 2.0 are, are those because in my mind, the, you know, Anna J and Ty are going to go with Guevara wherever he goes. Are 2.0 and yeah. Hager going to turn heel on Jericho or not? I think it'd be a little weird in storyline, certainly for Hager to turn on him, but we've already had it set up where, uh, both 2.0 and, uh, Hager have pointedly told Jericho, listen, you're blowing this. So you got to choose if it's us or him. And um... I think the fact that Hager gave Jericho back the hat, that yes. symbolism, I think it, that's it's set already up planted. That. Yeah. Like, obviously, we, we know the story of Hager saving Jericho's life uh, on a plane coming from Abu Dhabi. I think it was Abu Dhabi. And that's one of the reasons why Hager has a job here. Well, they use that in canon. And I thought that was great. Yeah. Like, now you've yeah, got like, all these seeds planted with Jericho. That's yeah. And you know what? If they split, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Like, it, I think I think it could still work. Hager, how, look there aren't many wrestlers on this roster that have been better used than Jake Hager. And it's not that Jake Hager is a really good wrestler. Cause quite frankly, he isn't his title matches have been acceptable to good that, uh, no holds barred title match against John Moxley during the pandemic was great. No, you didn't like that. I hated that. <laughs> I thought it was oh, boring. You were such a hater. I, I thought it was good. I didn't but like then, that one. Well, anyways, he's not put in positions really to fail. He's a heater. He wrestles very rarely, but he's almost like a, he's kind of treated like a mini boss. Yeah. Like, and I think that works really well. Like there aren't many wrestlers better utilized in their roles than Hager is at in his. I think maybe a better way to put that would be, there's not many wrestlers that are, put in the perfect spot for them like Hager is. That I'm that's basically the same thing. Yeah, I'm just rephrasing it a little bit so it's less of a performance and more of a yeah, I, I think it's just clear that way. Uh but I agree with you. I think that he's in a great spot. If you're gonna have Jake Hager in AEW, this is a great way to probably the best way to use Jake Hager is just like a heater for a bigger heel. Um, and he's been consistently booked, so he's a believable badass the entire time while, you know, taking a fair number of losses. So, you know, I think all that is pretty reasonable. I agree. I agree completely. And this is a this is a very interesting situation that I think we're going to we're going to see. We will see resolution mm-hmm. either before or during either all in or all out. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think it'll be, uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to it either way. Um, It's just a matter of time, I think, for them to pull the trigger on pushing this to the next level of the storyline. Yeah. As I dropped one of my AirPods on the floor, because of course I did. Let's let's take a look at, at what else we have here. There's not a ton to talk about outside of this. Um, let's talk about Darby Allen. Darby is brought in Nick Wayne, and ever since he brought in Nick Wayne, his world in AEW is kind of crumbling in front of him. He won the Royal Rampage, 
but then Swerve took him out. Air Fox turned on him after he got Darby got him in the title shot against Orange Cassidy. And then they go up to the Pacific Northwest in Nick Wayne's little gym where he, he, he's got a ring and he wrestles. And they beat the living shit out of him. They, they hit him over the head with a photo of him and his dead father buddy. Like, yeah, this was great. Boy, uh, Nick Wayne sure did, uh, sure did blade, huh? Look, hell yeah, blade buckets, baby. And this is going to be a, a really fun kind of rivalry because AR Fox is finally getting used instead of just being like, hey, just join this random trios team and lose a title match. No, he's he's in a storyline. And he's he's good. I I, I think this storyline has some cohesiveness. It's got it's got blood. It's got like history with these wrestlers because obviously you have um, Swerve who lost the Defy title to Nick Wayne and then beat him on Dynamite. And obviously the Pacific Northwest ties with how much Swerve has worked Defy and Darby Allen. This has been really good and. The big thing for me is how does this continue to grow? Where does Sting factor in with all of this? Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he he is uh, he's going to come in and uh, provide backup, I'm sure. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm looking forward to what that's going to look like. But I think this was an awesome angle last night, and I think this is a, a great storyline. Um. Or at least the the start of a great storyline. We'll see how it goes from here. Uh, it's like been two weeks, basically. So I don't think you can really uh, call it a great one. But also, it hasn't gone just two weeks. It's gone years and years. And like that's one of the cool things about acknowledging the history of wrestling outside of your company and um, being able to you know feeling comfortable with doing that has led to great storylines and AW being based on that history. And this is going to be another example of it. And uh, that's really cool. I think. Um, I think uh, Air Fox, since he turned heel, I mean, for all of one week, uh, he's done a great job so far. And I, I think he has upward mobility. I don't think he's going to be like a main eventer or anything, but he's got like, he definitely has the chops in the ring to be at least like a meaningful mid-card heel. And um, like a good number two to swerve. And that's awesome, man. Um so I like that angle last night, and I'm very excited about where it goes from here. And uh, I mean, Swerve's a great heel. I, you know, the the complaint will always remain. The first half of this year for Swerve's booking was pretty atrocious in general. I think because he they had the opportunity to make him hot by beating Keith Lee outright in a feud after they broke up, and then they just didn't do anything with that storyline, which was bizarre. Um, I don't know if Keith Lee was having health issues or what, but uh, it's, it sucks that nothing happened with Swerve Strickland for months and months. Uh, but now we're actually doing a good storyline with him. And uh, I mean, I think the guy's going to get more over. He's super talented. Um, I think he has, if given the opportunity and everything, I think he could easily be like a top 10 wrestler in the world. Um, I, I just think he's got a whole lot of talent. And um Definitely has the chops, I think, to be like a main event heel in AEW. 
agree completely. I think Swerve has the potential to be an AEW world champion. Yes. And I can understand kind of like, we've talked about this kind of stuff with Miro before where he doesn't really do anything. But it's like, why aren't you utilizing this guy? Well, sometimes there's X, Y, and Z where you, there's other really factors you don't know about. Because yeah. You want to be a, yeah. And those factors can make a difference here as my AirPods all of a sudden failed. And I'm trying to figure out why in the hell they did. Um, look, at the end of the day, this is this is good for Swerve long term, and I'm really excited about what's next. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the storyline. Um, Dynamite last night rolled. I thought that was just a a really high level TV show. And um, as I get my foot tangled up in cords and try not to beef it. Um, <laughs> the best radio show. Um, uh, basically, I I, I love that show. I think everything on it hit. Um, and there was no like. It seems like every week on Dynamite, there's like one segment that that is not good, and then everyone hyper focuses on it as part of the uh, AEW's dying. Look, there was a bad Taya Valkyrie match. God Almighty, um, because that's never existed before in history. Um. But I thought last night everything was great. Uh, like, it was one of the most cohesive and all-around great shows of wrestling I've seen in quite a while. And it also comes on the heels of a great collision, too. Like, I thought that was like an 8 out of 10 collision. And I thought Dynamite last night was a 9 out of 10. And it's been a bit since we had a, a show that high level, I thought. Um, so I really like this week of TV, ignoring Rampage, as you should. Um, and, uh, oh, no, I think, like, just... The AW is on a great direction right now. Um, I do want to specifically talk about from Dynamite. I mean, there's so much to talk about from that show. I think it's great that she just got the belt. Um, I think that's a great way to revitalize this division, to give a little jolt of energy. Uh, sometimes the title change is about who's getting the title, and sometimes the title change is about the title and the storylines around it. And I think, you know, all respect to Sheeta, this isn't like a knock on her or anything. Uh, but I think this is a case where this title change does more for the title than it does for the champion. Um, because it had stalled out pretty hard over the past month or two. Uh, you know, we just kind of got caught in this vortex of the outcasts, you know, just doing their mean girl stuff. And no one was really challenging for the title. There was no real push for a storyline against it for a bit now. And, um, Hopefully, this will be the jolt that'll uh, waken that uh, division back up, and we'll get good stuff going forward. Um, but yeah, that's you know, and I thought it was a really good match too. I thought it was um, one of the strongest women's matches they've had in a little bit. I went four stars on it. Um, I hit four stars multiple times. This was a strong notebook show last night between the yes. uh, the tag, the Aussie Open Vikingo Commander tag. Um, and, uh, the, also the, uh, the three way I thought was a fantastic match and probably my favorite off the show. Um, just a great plunder match. Um, and on top of all those, I mean, we had a really, the really good swerve segment we just talked about. We had the, what I thought was maybe a little overlong. That was like the one note really I had coming off the show as a, as a negative, um, 
but still a very good um, MJF Adam Cole segment. You could argue that you know it would have been a little better if they tightened it up and chopped it off after about one like made it four minutes shorter. But like you know that's kind of a quibble. This storyline's super hot, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really amazing how hot these two have made it, and it, it's awesome. Um, if it wasn't for the bloodline, which obviously is a huge deal with that audience, uh, this would be the hottest storyline in wrestling today, I think. But it's not not a bad number two. Um, and I think there's still room to pump it up. But, you know, that's all very intriguing to see coming in the future. Um, but, yeah, I thought that uh, MJF was great on the mic last night. Uh, so You know, he's always had the skills, but sometimes with him it's a little bit of direction issue, I think. And last night was a very well-directed promo. Um, and I thought it was actually a very strong babyface promo by him, even though he's still a scumbag. And um, Adam Cole, uh, you know, I thought he played it nicely. And Roderick Strong looked like the biggest geek in the world, <laughs> as he has continually for the storyline. Yeah, Roderick Strong, man. He ain't, he ain't picking up wins here. <laughs> No, the, this was great. And the in, the intriguing thing is what was in that contract. That, that's, yeah. that's what I want to know. Because the one thing that we know in wrestling history, if you sign a contract without reading it, there's something, something that's going to screw you. And it didn't, It nothing bad happened tonight. Right. What's going to happen down the line? It, maybe it's after all in and all out. Maybe it's right before. What's in the contract? That's that's the big question. But these guys are a hit. MJF needs to be a face. And I don't know how long you make him a face for because he's such a good heel. But the crowd wants to love him. And when the crowd wants to love him, you got to give them a reason to love him. And they're starting to really do that. I, don't, I wonder if this baby face turn could be the cult, culmination of the story where he was talking about going to WWE when his contract came up. And, well, the fans love me. I'm not going to leave them. And that's their get-out-of-jail-free card with yeah. that story that kind of disappeared a little bit, uh, even though it's it's more of an overarching theme rather than an actual storyline. Like, I, I could see that being a plausible outcome here. And I really like how he's positioning himself while he's still doing this baby face. no. I'm not changing. I'm still a scumbag, but I'm, I'm just your scumbag. scumbag. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very uh, late 90s very, rock. Very Jersey. <laughs> very Jersey Shore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't mean that as an insult. It's just like everybody who's watched Jersey Shore, they're like, yeah, they're, they're kind of douchebag scumbags. And well, you like them because they're entertaining and fun. It's, yeah. MJF kind of fits that motif a little bit. And, it's very interesting how some of this is currently playing out, and I'm really excited to see how it continues moving forward. Yeah, it, I mean, all the intrigue with it is very cool, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next step. Uh, apparently, there's a theory on Reddit that uh, when uh, Cole hugged MJF, he did the, the chest pound in the back kind of thing with his fist. Um, I guess it'd be a back pound since it'd be to his back. 
but it looked vaguely like a, a stabbing motion. So there are people like, oh, he's going to stab him in the back, which, I mean, I, I do think it's going to be the storyline, but I don't know. I just thought that was a little interesting. Um, probably, I, I assume, is a little, like, reading too much into it, but all the same, like, you know, like an interesting idea, I'll say. Um, yeah, so that's my... I don't know, my last note on that, I guess. Uh, very cool to see where that goes. Um, another thing I want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet is uh, just go, throwing back to Collision real quick. That Andrade-Buddy Matthews match was really good. Yes, that match was awesome. And I pointed out that I didn't like the fact that they were doing a ladder match for this mask. But it wasn't a very, like, it was not a normal ladder match. It was a match that involved ladders. Yes. And kudos to Buddy Matthews. Uh, I don't know how many of people remember seeing it, but he goes over to Doc, and during the picture-in-picture, picture, he Doc pulls the shoulder back into place, yeah. and he, he kind of loosens it up and then goes. Great stuff. And they worked incredibly hard. I thought the stuff with the the handcuffs was cool, where it – set themselves up but it also wasn't the finish of the match yes um they both got handcuffed at one point andrade stole the key from julia hart after buddy matthews got uh, hit off the apron and then buddy matthews got the key back from julia hart and hart went up to the ladder to confront andrade he pushes her off into buddy threw a table on the corner i and i thought this was very well put together that Andrade Asai moonsault from the top of the ladder was perfectly placed. Yeah. This this match hit everything. Yeah, it was really cool. Um I just thought it was a lot of fun. And uh I, you know, I wanted us to mention that because uh it, it you know, it's it. I think that's the most forgettable match from this week, uh, which is kind of funny for a ladder match. Uh, I think that just kind of tells you what the value is of a ladder match in 2023. Uh, but you know, there's a bunch of big storylines going on right now and everything and all that stuff. But frankly, this was um, this was I thought just a really cool match, and uh, it may set something up in the future moving forward. Um, I guess we'll see. Um, but. I don't know, man. I, I like this a lot. I thought it was like, I don't have my ratings open right now. Let me do that real quick. I thought it was a good like four, four and a quarter match and I uh, thought it was worth just bringing up specifically because uh, it, it rocked. Yeah, I went straight four on it. So, Yeah, I think four is a fair rating. That I went four and a quarter just because That's I thought fair. I thought the work was really good and some of the little intricacies I thought really worked well. And the unintentional shoulder injury. And then you never notice the shoulder again. And I thought yeah. this was a nice touch because Andrade was down for the count when Buddy went over to get the shoulder worked on. It wasn't like it was in the middle of the match and Andrade did it. And I thought them not going back to it was smart because you could easily play it out that Andrade just didn't know or didn't see. And then Buddy showed no inclination of the shoulder actually bothering him the rest of the match. I liked that. It was a small nuance, but it worked really well. The unmute button did not unmute, so that was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. Um, 
Oh, no. And with all this stuff we've talked about, we barely... I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that uh, Minoru Suzuki made a surprise appearance on Collision. Uh, the match wasn't much. I, I gave it three and a half. And frankly, that was kind of a gentleman's three and a half. Um, it was not exactly a uh, fantastic march match with Darby. Uh, but it was still cool to see. And um, Suzuki rules. So... I also thought it was important because there was cohesiveness. Didn't Darby eliminate Minoru Suzuki from Royal Rampage? That Actually, no, 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 no. That was, uh, I specifically remember, that was the Butcher that knocked him out. Uh, because I was like, my God, I, I love Royal the Butcher. Legend of the Butcher. Exactly. I love the gimmick that he's a, the Battle Royal uh, Kingpin. A specialist. AW, yeah. It's cool. It's uh, great. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's uh, that's just kind of a neat, um, neat little thing that happened, and I love that that can just happen in AEW that you can just get a random uh, Minoru Suzuki match and have a blast with it because he's cool as hell and always will be. Yes, I love Minoru Suzuki, and it's it's great great to see him still working every yes. everywhere and. Yeah. Fred, is there anything else that we need to touch on from the last week of AEW? I don't think so. The uh, one thing I do want to mention, like super quick, just because it made me laugh. Uh, two things, actually. One, uh, the Elite Trios match with uh, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Tottenham Singh. Not exactly a great match. I went like a gentleman's three on it, but it was a fun match. Um, and I enjoyed that. And, uh, some good comedy in there, and uh, I, I thought the ending stretch on it was great. Just absolute Memphis bullshit, and uh, I loved that part of it. Um, Kenny Omega nearly getting sing up for the one winged angle angel uh, was wild to see, and uh, I don't know. It, it's it's not really a memorable match or anything, but it was a fun match. I just wanted to mention that specifically, and then finally, uh, Jack Perry. Uh, he's he's getting a feel for being a heel. Uh, him hiding behind a literal child from Rob Van Dam. I just had to that specifically mention that because that was that was a great little moment. Uh, that was just so funny. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for AW this week. Uh, kind of a quiet week, um, but smoothly segueing into plugging my own shit uh, for VoicesOfWrestling.com. I did publish an article this week. Uh, finally got back on the riding bicycle after a couple months and um i did my cage match bullshit i'm back on it um i went and uh pulled all the matches for the first half of the year um and the match ratings for them and uh calculated who's having the best in-ring uh year based off that data and uh you know it's kind of surprising i think in a way if you're not familiar with how cage match works and specifically uh the attention Mike Bailey gets off of it, uh, that he's the number one guy um, in terms of entering. And it's not so much that he hits the super high peaks that um, other guys do. It's that he's working twice a weekend and putting on very good matches practically every time out there. Uh, the guy is a workaholic. Um, he has 43 matches uh, that qualified for this as at least a 6.75 on cage match. And, uh, that is more than all but like eight companies. I think I wrote. Um, the guy is insane. He he doesn't take days off. Um, he has more matches on there than uh, Noah by himself. <laughs> he nearly has as many as Ring of Honor. Uh, 
And I, I love him as a worker. Uh, I thought his uh, Bola run for PWG this year was fantastic. And uh, I don't know. I just wanted to specifically mention that. And also the uh, Yoshihiko index that I created. Uh, because we actually have Yoshihiko in a qualifying match this year. So scientifically speaking, anyone that has less points than Yoshihiko is not as good of a wrestler as Yoshihiko. Good old Yoshihiko. Yeah, but that, I thought that was a lot of fun to look at uh, just that data. And uh, uh, I uh, so plug in my own stuff. It's up on Voices. And uh, check it out if you get a chance. There's also a Sporkle quiz at the top if you want to just uh, try to guess who the top 50 are without even reading the article. So, Yeah. I would highly recommend checking it out. I think it's cool to see what the, the mass is. It, because when you get a huge sample size, you really remove a lot of inherent bias. And this is just what do the masses think the best wrestler in the world has been this year based on match ratings alone. I think it's it's a cool tool to utilize when we're having some of these discussions. And we're going to have plenty of those here moving forward, especially as we talk more about Wrestling Observer Awards at the end of the year. And if you missed it last week, at the end of the episode, we talked extensively about our picks for some of the bigger awards on the docket. Um, quick rundown before we end up heading out here today. Collision um, does have that um, Big Bill and Brian Cage versus FTR tag team title match. And it also the most has, important match in wrestling history. It really is. It's the most important match in wrestling history. Uh, and it also has CM Punk defending the quote-unquote real-world title against Ricky Starks. That's a good semi-main. And, yeah. It, uh, it's, it's. I actually do wonder um, if that's going to be the semi-main. I doubt it, but... No, it's Punk's going to main event. Are you kidding? Yeah. Um, the back of his t-shirt says, I'm a collision guy. What a dork. Uh, uh, you know, I got to question the intelligence of splitting the crowd like that, your own company's, you know, deal. But I also get it. It's a callback to the, you know, I'm a Paul Heyman guy thing. So I don't know. Maybe that's too nitpicky. Yeah, we'll be nitpicky. We can do that on the show. Um, all in, we only have one match official, and that is MJF versus Adam Cole for the W World Championship. That match is going to slap. We also have potentially Will Ospreay versus Chris Jericho. Presumably, that is going to start once the G1 is done. I wonder if Chris Jericho makes an appearance at the G1 final. Hmm. I'm just speculating. I don't know anything. But it would be a great way to set things up. And that that's presumably all we have so far. We have hints of stuff. Obviously, John Mock. Moxie Orange Cassidy for the international title. Looks like it could be in place. We could have um, like Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta versus either Lucha Brothers or Best Friends. There's plenty of ways we can go. We just don't have a lot official yet. And for some people, it's really annoying. I'm glad they've at least started that ball rolling, but they like to slow roll. So expect at least one more match announced on Collision this week, and they're going to continue that. They don't like – it's kind of like a New Japan thing where they don't like to usurp what they have going on before they announce like the, their next cards. So once the G1 is done, then they'll announce the Destruction Tour cards. And then once that is done, then they'll announce like World Tag League and the Road to Tokyo Dome. And they don't, it, with the, like, they don't even officially announce what the main event is at the Tokyo Dome until it's set. 
that's usually at King of Pro Wrestling. So, like, I'm not super concerned about it, but they started, and I think that's what's important. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I I think it's fair to be where they are with the card right now, but they do, I mean, I would like them to announce, you know, dare I say three or four more matches in the next week just to kind of give this card some direction because we're coming up fast on it. Uh, So, you know. Let's let's go. Let's go. You got to make this feel like the biggest show ever, which it is practically. So Tony Khan finally said it on air last night. That is the biggest show of all time. And I think we're going to hear a lot of that the next couple weeks. But that is it for our show today. You can follow us on Twitter at Good Bad Hungy. You can follow me on Twitter at The Real Forno and all my work at USA Today's Vikings Wire, College Football Network, and my own YouTube channel, Vikings First and Skull. You can follow Fred on Blue Sky and... You can also um, subscribe to his currently paused Patreon, which is going to have a lot more pieces and information like the article that was just posted at voiceofwrestling.com. Highly recommend you go check that out. I will link it in the show notes with that. He is Fred. I am Fred. And uh, we are all elite, baby. Ruining the exit. Gotta love it. Everyone have a good week. Uh, uh, uh. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.